Ladies and gentlemen, it took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. All right, lads, usually on a Thursday there aren't games to talk about, but there is this Thursday because there was a full round of football in Leash. There was a full round of football in Offaly, obviously because of the lockdown. And in Dublin, we have the eight team through to the quarterfinals. So Rahini beat uh, Plunkett's last night, 213 to 210. Brian Fenton scored 1 3. Uh, Brian Fenton, Brian Howard in midfield. And, I, and we're going to start talking a bit like Johnny Giles here, Conan, and say I'd imagine uh, Brian Howard is the midfielder that sits. And Brian Fenton is the mid- midfielder that goes forward. But you can alternate that if you want. <laughs> you were Johnny Yais, you, you send a number eight, can sit in a number nine fella, can go forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. in, my, in my time, there was no such thing as a holding midfielder. <laughs> yeah, like they also had, um, remember Connor Talty, he used to work for us. Like He, he used to play for, with Clare, but he's just yeah. injured this year. So that would have freed up uh, Brian Howard usually for them because he played midfield. Um, but it's not a bad backup plan. They have the two best midfielders in the country playing midfield. No, it's not a. It's not a bad, uh, especially with Brian Fenton. If it's a situation and you're just going after scoring, like Fenton scoring one three, um, like I mean. When Brian Fenton goes forward, Connor, he's an absolute monster, and you see it sometimes with Dublin, but not always. But if the if the agreement is for Brian Howard, who can play in the defence, you know, to maybe mind the house, and you go forward every time you want, Fenton left, right, and he's got a great shot on him for goals as well. It's something that you would look forward. You'd pay the old cliche. You would pay money to see him. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the only thing about that, if Brian Howard is hitting, you're depriving Brian Howard the chance of of getting forward. He's no man. He's no mean man to kick a few points or anything like that too. And I'd say at that level, like I'd say, while Brian Fenton bombs forward, he does plenty of like uh, plenty of defensive work, and uh, and uh, you know he puts in a shift at the back as well because he'd be, uh, you know, he 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 tends to do that for Dublin. Never mind. So like at that club level as well, he'd be. I'd say he's well able to get all over the park. But uh, by the sounds of things, last night they were in a bit of trouble earlier on, and then. Fenton just comes up and kicks the, the traditional goal, really, and busts him in the driving seat just before the water break. So looking forward to see how they get on now, kind of, because as I said, I haven't seen, um, I haven't been exposed to Rahini like uh, at club level, but just with those names alone, um, hopefully we'll see plenty of them now before the uh, the Dublin Championship finishes up. Yeah, and there was these games in Leash and Offaly, like I mentioned, Port Leash won, um, only scored 1-8 to 5 against uh, Ballyland of a very new look forward line. No Brian McCormack, who retired, no Craig Rogers, Brian Glynn is injured, Paul Catalan went off after after 10 minutes. He's just getting injured all the time now for the last couple of years. Um, so there's a lot of new faces in in the forward line for Port Leash, so it'll be interesting to see how they get on um, this year. Port Harlington beat Stradbilly and O'Dempsey scored seven goals. Um, against Courtwood so they're kind of the, the two teams that could put it up to Port Leash and for Bannon Road the two big teams at the moment in Offaly they, they look like they're they're going to top their groups and get through Keane Johnson scored a beautiful goal did you see this so you know I'm a Keane Johnson fan although mm-hmm. like, I'm waiting to see Keane Johnson start doing it inter-county level before like I mean I'm not going to follow Keane Johnson if he's just a brilliant player for Forban and sticking because it was a beautiful goal off the inside of his boot generated loads of power into the top corner um, I'm not sure that either, either of you see uh, that goal I saw that Offly TV, yeah, just off the off the stanchion as well, which always yeah. makes it look better when it points his back out. Um, it was quality. It's just the way, like it looks so easy for him. We saw your man coming from behind him, and he just stopped, bounced it, let him fly past him, and and just as you say, inside the boot, just caressed it with a lot of power, which is really nice to see. But yeah, you can, you caress, can, you, can, can you caress with power now, Conan? I have to pull you up on that one. Uh, oh no, you can. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you can caress with power. Absolutely, because that's what that was my point. The fact that he was able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to um, talk about the O'Dempsey's game did you see Mark Barry's goal in that to the back heel no unbelievable he went through they were play- you said they were playing Courtwood and he went through but somebody sort of stripped the ball out of his hand so it turned around he was about six yards out and he sort of grabbed the ball like with his studs and slid it back and the keeper was coming out at this stage and he just flicked it with the back heel in past the keeper it was brilliant stuff so. 
Very good. I must have a look at that on Leash TV. This is great. Actually, we, we keep saying these streaming services, you know, these goals are popping up out of nowhere and even uh, unusual goals, which we're going to get to in a minute. Emo beat Collection and nobody outside of Emo and Collection, I don't want to be too harsh, would be too concerned about this uh, result. Collection were in the county final. Uh, was it last year? I think it was last year. Port Leash actually struggled um, to beat them. They're not a big club. Um, but their manager is Carol O'Dwyer, um, who has a very famous uh, father, who was not a bad manager back in his day. Um, Carol's, Carol's obviously an all-star footballer himself. So he played, he was on uh, Game On uh, on 2FM last night. He says, we played against Emo and I was at home watching it on Facebook. I wouldn't be a big fan of Facebook, but unfortunately I had to resort to those tactics. I was in contact on the phone with the chairman and one of the selectors. Because it was so windy, it was hard to get the message through at times but it was the only thing I could do in the circumstances. And I'm thinking of Carl O'Dwyer watching this game with his team and making changes in his boxer shorts <laughs> in the sitting room. Um, Connor, like, I mean, it's some picture to paint. There's no doubt. So what's his story then, Willie? Is he based in Kildare that he couldn't make the game? or yeah, what was based, the... He's based in Kildare and he's under lockdown. Sorry, I should have been a bit clearer um, about that. Yeah, he's living in Kildare and they can't uh, leave the county. So he had to watch it on Facebook. So when I saw it first and he looked it on Facebook, like I watched um I watched a few games lately on like teams, Facebook channels, whatever. And uh, with all due respect to people who are trying really hard to get them, you know, out to out to their fans and stuff. It's not the same as watching it on TV. You know, if, if somebody's filming with a with a tablet or a phone at the side of the pitch. But I actually went back. I went on to the collection um, Facebook page. So they must have got a uh, must have got a professional um, production company to film it. It was actually a really, a really decent job. But the was, it in a, was, was it in a more park? I couldn't. I couldn't see that. Like, the, see, the picture was very. I don't think so because I like. I would have noticed the stand in the background, but it was just like it looked like the 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 the, the camera was very follow, very closely following the action. So the only thing I'll say about Carlo Dwyer is that like all he could see, all he would have been able to see was what was happening actually on the ball. Right, right. He wouldn't have got a view of what was happening. You know, you need the bigger picture when you're there and you can watch from the stand or the sideline. You can see what's happening down the other end of the pitch. So I'd like to think that his responsibility in his selectors that he would have given, you know, a bit of faith in his selectors that he would have trusted them to make the decisions. But maybe not if that's what he's saying, if he was telling them what to do from the from the comfort of his own couch. Well, well, well that's the thing, because like, I mean, because Netflix kind of screwed Leash over by not giving them enough time. All those games should be in a more park. So the Port Leash match, I didn't get to see it. It wasn't online. Um, on Monday night because it was out in Stradbally and you've no there's no leash TV out there you know the, leash, the, the, the these TV streams are only in the county grounds so like I would imagine that every other game from now on will be in a more park when to have a bit of time to spread it across the Friday Saturday Sunday but this on this occasion you know with people maybe working or whatever they weren't able to get as many games in in a more park um, so that's probably the story see this Antrim goal anyways Conan we have to move on to this because this is on the Antrim GA Twitter. Um, account and this was um, a match between Navena and St. Gauls. Now St. Gauls are seven points up at this stage and it's in the second half, it's the second water break and um, what happens is, now to be fair both teams take the piss here as far as I'm concerned because the, the, the Antrim uh, Twitter account put out the whole water break and Navena starts strolling back out, casual as you like, after about a minute and 45 seconds. Goals still aren't even appearing on the two-minute mark. And the Navena has just about reached their positions. The referee blows his whistle. And the Navena goalkeeper kicks it out. They catch it in midfield. Now Gauls have watched, have seen this kick out coming out. They're frantically running back to try and cover their goals. But the ball, as most managers will always say, the ball moves faster than the than the players retreating, as some of our analysis used to say when we're talking about uh, blanket defences. And they couldn't get back in time and the ball was tapped into an empty net. Like, I mean, I say good enough for them, good refereeing. And if every team was to start taking the piss on two minutes, water break, we'd have a complete farce of a game altogether, Conan. Bang on. Uh, I was happy happy to see it. I can understand a bit of the frustration where you were, coming, you were saying that both teams were taking the piss and you know they, they were a little bit but I think in the ref's defence they called them all out after I think the Antrim account says 65 seconds and by two minutes goals were still in a huddle they weren't even yeah. looking like they were coming mm. coming back out and I don't know if that was deliberate or were they just having a team talk or either way you're not, like, al- you're not allowed to have a team talk like you go over get a quick drink and come back into your positions that's it they might have to go to the, to the, to the extremes of banning managers from coming down t- near the players 
Yeah, it's for it's the purpose for a drink for sixty yeah. seconds. Like you don't need you. You'll see them in thirteen minutes. Same. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> it's like the the great thing about that is that they won't do it again. And hopefully, a lot of teams won't. And maybe a lot of referees will sort of take stock of that and think, "Geez, I might do that because I got caught with that last week or whatever else." And yeah. The only <laughs> only thing I'd be worried about is you know. Maybe did he do it in the first half? If if that happened, you know, just as long as there's consistency in it, and he's not just picking on a team or whatever. Well, that's the thing. They, they, their 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 goalkeeper. I'll get to him in a minute. He was saying that there wasn't as much urgency in the first half. But here's the point on this, Connor. Why does a manager like Conan says they're going to talk to them in 13 minutes? Right. There's nobody at the feckin' game. You can get any message you want with a good shout into any single bloody player. Do you know what I mean? This idea that these managers think that they have to get the team into a huddle and talk out nonsense. Talk to them. Run up the field and talk to the forwards. Shout in at them. The player you want to do, shout to the backs. There's nobody there. You're not in a packed crow park on all our final day. Am I wrong in saying that you're, you're, you're not allowed any Mirishkas anymore? But am I wrong in saying that you're, you're not allowed to still have one runner as well? If you if you if you absolutely need to get messages on, you know, during the game as well, as well as having the water break. But we've discussed this before, is that like I, I don't know, is it a power trip for some managers that because they have their players again, you know, you know, 15 minutes into the game that they feel that they have to get messages across or something like that because they're all gathered in a huddle. Whereas the, the whole purpose of the game is just to go over, get a quick drink and go back out again. But I like I I I'm I'm with G lads. I mean, like that's this is the, the like I suppose what this nips in the bud is the potential for teams to take the piss. And like Conan said there, whether it's deliberate or not, I don't know. But like you, you probably will get a case of some teams making a deliberate statement saying, ah, you know, we'll let them out there. We we let them out there for 30 seconds and we'll we'll delay them, whatever. But if every ma- if every referee takes the attitude that this guy did and he gave them plenty of warning. I mean, just looking back at it again, he called back after a minute. He blew again 30 seconds later. The ANA players started to come out then. He blew again. I think after two minutes when all the ANA players were out. So it wasn't as if the St. Gauls lads didn't get enough warning. So yeah. hopefully, like I would imagine that this has got across the country and that every manager will be telling any 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 team who's playing this weekend, any manager will be telling their players, listen, lads, you saw what happened happened up in Antrim. Don't take the piss for the water break. Leave it to a minute and that's it. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to see this, go to the Antrim GA uh, Twitter account. So Chris Kerr is the Gauls goalkeeper and he's been given out about this. Um, he was saying there wasn't as much urgency in the first half um, from him to play for play to restart. And he says, listen, by apologising to the management and players at the end, he showed he made a mistake. So the referee unbelievably made a mistake, uh, Conan. But you were checking this out with David Goff and David Goff reckons he made no mistake whatsoever. Yeah, like I, I, I'm surprised that the ref was apologising for making a mistake. I'd say he was probably going over and explaining himself or, you know, sorry yeah. about that, but he hadn't come out or whatever. Like, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just text David. I'm starting to feel bad because every time something like this comes up, I'm just, just he's he's trying to take a step away from refereeing at the minute. But um, he said like you know he's completely within his rights. The rule states it's a maximum of one minute, and the best part of it is that it's not an official rule; it's just a note or a recommendation. So the ref can do what he wants to get the get the play going again, and he he was within his rights. Yeah, are you sure David Goff wasn't nervous about getting the coronavirus through the phone now or anything like that? Uh, talking to you on the phone, you know how uh, nervous he is. <laughs> I've no comment on that. <laughs> All right, we'll leave that. That was just funny, and listen, it was it was funny, and it's a lesson to everybody to just cop on, take over, get a drink. Don't even be entertaining your manager and get back on the field or else you could concede a goal like Nevena um, did. Right, lads, I want to talk about this split club season here because I don't know what to think about this. I'm coming and going on this and it kind of wound me up uh, listening to Derek Kent. So obviously Wexford got a lot of criticism. I remember before this even happened, we were, Niall Catalan was talking about splitting the club season and I was kind of laughing at this going, Jesus, give us a break. We're not going down, you know, let's split the inter-county of the club season first without this even coming up. But now Derek Kent is delighting in his success so much that we have to kind of talk about this because I think that was him, pretty sure that was him who gave the cup to Simon Donoghue and he 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 made a point of saying what a success it was. And then he was talking on RT Radio and he was saying it was a major success and a genuine dual club that won the hurling in both senior and intermediate. I think playing blocks in hurling and then football is the way forward for Wexford for however long we don't know. So, like, I mean, this is a very exceptional year. So they think that it's been a success because the hurlers are all happy and they got a great championship five weeks in a row. They got a bit of momentum into it without the distractions, you know, of football and everything. But what about the footballers? Because Simon Donoghue was saying to me, Conan, on Monday, 
about, you know, that they have maybe 10 or 12 of the team. So the footballers would have been training away there with maybe seven or eight lads for the last four or five weeks. That's not really fair with them. And they, now they're out next week. So mm. they have a whole lot of hurlers coming in on Tuesday night after celebrating. That's not good preparation for them. On the flip side of that, right, so the hurlers are out, fun, are, are, are out first. If there's a Leinster Provincial Club... Now the Wexford, now the Shell Maliers, um hurlers are after winning their county final. They have to train without all their dual players, which there's loads of them, the whole way up to a Leinster club match because the football championship will be going on, and they'll get a good run in that. I, I first I thought it wasn't fair on the team on the code coming second, and that's probably a fact more so this year. But when provincial championships start, you know, next year hopefully um, again it actually won't be fair on either code. I just don't think, yeah, it's, it's a good idea then because both of your points are, are right. Like, it, it's not fair on the team coming second unless you had a gap of four weeks, you know, between the hurling and the football. As you say, they're out next week. If if they were able to say, we'll start training six weeks out or whatever, we'll have the hurlers back four weeks out. That'll be great, but it's not the case. And it can't be the case. And I, if there's a provincial back, it's not, it's not a long-term, it's not a long-term solution. And I thought, like when we're talking about split splitting the season, it just needed to be done in club and county because I know there are sort of political differences between some clubs, like you know, between the hurlers and footballers. But we we had spoken about this before. It's, it's dream stuff for a dual player when you're going week on and week off. When you have a hurling match one Sunday and then football the next Sunday, you're coming in every week and you're just preparing for a match. So I think if you ask the dual players and that they had that scenario where it was just club, they'd be happy to go week on week off, and it's. Yeah, it's, it's more long-term sustainable as well if you can play provincial with it. But I don't know. It's getting a lot of support in Wexford. And Simon Donoghue, who is a dual player and from a dual club, the county champions, he said on Monday, from speaking to hurlers and footballers, they're only delighted with it because you know what's happening. There's no swapping. You have the same group of players going to train in two uh, nights a week and playing matches. There's no crossover. I think it's the way to go forward. Now, obviously, Simon Donoghue is someone who's going to come from uh, five weeks um, focusing on one and then five weeks focusing on the other. He's a dual player. I'm talking about Connor, the non, the hurlers, the prime, the people who just play hurling in his club and the people who just play football in his club. They're the people that's a little bit unfair of. Simon Dunne, who plays both, isn't that grand? Yeah, well, that's who it's him. It's perfectly set up for him. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I'm not part of a dual club, so I don't know what it's like, but like, so if it's a split that you're talking about there, if it's week on, week off for the hurlers and the footballers, do the hurlers. Take a break to take a break on football week, you know, for training, and do the footballers take a break? You know, the the, the players that play football only, do they take a break when it's time for the hurlers to train? I like I don't know how that works, but if that was a case that no, well, they'd stay ticking over with lower numbers, obviously. Like I mean, to go up and do something. Yeah, well, I suppose that 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 seems better to me. That seems better to me if you're doing a kind of week on week off. You 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 know you've one training with all one week with all the hurlers, and then you've one week, you know, just with the footballers, as opposed to waiting. You know what? What might it might be six weeks when you've nothing at all, or just the ten lads down training, and then you have the hurlers coming back in. Do you know what I mean? So like, it seems to me, it seems to me that like, maybe, like I don't know what the majority of, cl- of of club players in Wexford are like. Do they all do, do the majority of them play? You know, hurling and football. It seems ideally set up for that. But the, there be other counties where I would imagine that it that it's not, not as clear cut as that, and that the players who play hurling only and football only would be losing out. But it's not. It doesn't seem to me. Whatever, like it's complicated either way, I think, but it doesn't seem to me that it will be as unqualified a success in every county as the Wexford chairman seems to think it is in Wexford. Yeah, maybe it's a thing that, like, I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it'll take off in in other counties. Personally, I think playing on alternate weekends treats both codes exactly fairly, whether it, it might not be ideal and it has some issues. I kind of mentioned the politics of it. Like, for example, if you're more of a hurler than a footballer, but you play both, you know, you might be minding yourself on the football week. You know, that kind of a way. Whereas if you split them, you'll be able to completely go for it for both. And in a way, it promotes the dual player, which, you know, is a dying kind of thing in the GA a little bit that you know, if you're allowed, if you're predominantly a hurler, but you're not a bad footballer, but you just love hurling and sometimes football will get in the way of your hurling. If you split them, that's given the dual players a perfect opportunity to play both. So there is an advantage in splitting it um, from that point of view, Conan. Yeah, it could be such a nightmare. I think you were saying um, if you were going into the Leinster club and then you're you're not training with the hurlers anymore, you're training with the footballers. But I can just envisage that where it's like, 
surely like you know what comes first then is it the first round of the Wexford Championship or is it the first round of the Leinster Club in Hurling you know so there's your perfect example then where the hurlers will definitely want you because you're going for a Leinster title but yeah. it's championship season with the footballers so then what do you do like, as, as a dual player I think that's them when it's not able to it's not able to work out for those guys and they're caught in the middle week on week off you avoid that maybe it's not ideal but I think it's the only way to do it if you're going to play two sports basically I think so. I think that that's my thoughts on it. But like, I mean, it's the, a lot of people. I was tweeting about this, and a lot of people from Wexford were coming back, um, you know, strongly defending um, the split season. So look, without criticizing it too much, let whatever county do what they want. I don't see it taking off myself. Um, it could take off in in counties where they're predominantly football and don't care about hurling the football might go first and then you know if you're in a provincial um title in a provincial championship well then the hurlers will get screwed anyways whenever that starts and likewise in the hurling traditional counties i think who whichever goes first is the stronger code and it supersedes the other one and that's why that's why i don't like it but maybe some counts you know a lot of the ulster counties don't care about hurling you know are much stronger at football and then you have a lot of the hurling counties that don't care about or the complete opposite way around maybe they're the counties that will uh, choose to go with, um, with the split season um the cool camps lads there's some stats on this um about what a success they were so there were seventy one thousand children um took part in the there was 900 cool camps over five weeks and there was just one reported withdrawal because of the coronavirus. So, like, I mean, that's in, that's incredible. There was they should have had eighty thousand, but obviously, Leash, Offaly, and Kildare were were locked down and they couldn't do it. But the contact tracing for the one case, um, the source of the infection was at another event, and there was no tr- transmission within the cool camps. Now we know children are much lower risk, etc. But for 71 children, Conan, to pass through those cool camps and have no case and have no um, have no case and have no transmission of the one positive case that was take or that was got somewhere else is a huge credit to the organize, organizers of the cool camps and a huge credit to the GEA as a whole. And also sometimes on this topic, we can be a little bit kind of, you know, you know, our instinct is to defend the GEA on the crowds and defend, you know, the organization that we're, uh, you know, part of. But at the same time, like these stats are very, very strong. Absolutely. I mean, you see 71,000, like that's, that's really just jumps out at you. And, and you're right, like to praise the GEA as well. Obviously, like we can talk all we want about fresh air and the, and the risk being lower outside and stuff, but you're doing something right as well to have no infections. And, uh, and like that's including, you know, parents and stuff dropping people down and all exactly, the yeah. coaches mm. and everybody involved in, in getting this thing going and like to come through that without a hitch. Like that's exactly what we wanted back in March and April when we were worried about where we were going as a world. But like to be able to have 71,000 children out playing in the cool camps, that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. I saw a tweet from Liam Sheedy um, there yesterday and he says, super article, retention is a massive challenge but equally a super opportunity if it becomes the number one priority. The GEA has so much to offer our young and losing six out of 10 players from the sport between 12 and 21 has to change. And it was an article from Christy O'Connor in the Evening Echo. And um, it was very good. And he had some quotes from Book Anderson, who is New Zealand Rugby Union's youth development officer. And whatever it is about New Zealand, like, I mean, they are kind of world leaders in rugby, but the, you know, the, how are they so successful? How are they so good? What do they do at youth level? And I thought this was very interesting. So Anderson speaking about having a KPI, key performance indicator for anyone who doesn't know what a KPI is. So he's speaking about having a KPI for all their coaches of teenage teams. So the, the key performance indicator they have is how many, ki- I, I don't like the word kids, how many children come back to be coached by you next year as opposed to how many championships you won. Like guess, and that's some way to think about it. So he goes on to say, the more children you can retain, and if those children believe you've made them better, and that you've provided them a great environment that's given them a love of the game and they come back, then you've done your job. Like, like I, I, I don't know, the competitive element of the GEA at underage level, I think it's too much, but that's a fantastic way of looking at it, Connor. Don't come back to me with what you've won. Come back to me with how many children you 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 didn't lose the following year. Because I like there's a, there's a strong memory in my head 
because like of being at, at underage games, especially at under 12. Uh, well, you pick one team and you pick another team and a poor region. And it used to be me in school. I remember it strongly being left to the last one or two to get picked. And you feel absolutely demoralized. It used to happen to me out in rugby because I was useless when I was younger. And I didn't want to go back. I used to say to my mother, I don't want to go back out there. I'm always, <laughs> well, I didn't actually tell her why, because I was too embarrassed that you're the last one to be picked. You know, this kind of thing, and you're not on the team and you're a sub and it's not fun, you know. So to have that idea with the coaches that you're not going to be judged on what you win, you're going to be judged on how many children come back the next year and don't drop out. It's a it's a great way to look at it. Yeah, it's, it's really refreshing, I think. And just to say that, like, if we're going to take Anthem from New Zealand, I prefer this rather than the whole sweep in the shed stuff that's <laughs> yeah. gone through the gone through the GA in recent years. But uh, as you said, Willie, I think everybody... Everybody or a lot of people have a personal story that can relate to your personal story there in, in various different sports. They might have been great at GA, but maybe kind of excluded a bit of rugby or soccer or stuff like that. And no kid, no ch- no child at that age wants to be wants to be exposed to that sort of pressure. Do you know, like like it's uh it's 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 about it's a it's a it's about you know your development and as I said like how many are going to come back next year and to be fair like I don't think this attitude is pervasive in across the GA but like there would be a lot of clubs that would would have it and and like funnily enough or surprise surprise it's the it's the, the biggest clubs and the clubs that are maybe the most successful that that you recognise this attitude like Carfin a load of their underage players have spoken about how while they're so successful at senior level that when they came up underage, it wasn't about it wasn't about how many titles they won. It was about developing them as players and developing the kind of love of the game. And then Carfin ended up bearing the fruit of it because these kids, these children are coming back every year to, because they enjoy it so much. And they, they've developed so much then over the years that they that they develop into proper players at senior level where, where, where competition matters more than it should do at underage. So you'd like to, like, to be fair, I, I have heard this kind of... Um, you know, a desire to implement this attitude across the GA in recent years, but it's good. Like Christy O'Connor always, always writes good stuff. And, and this is a really kind of, um, this is a really refreshing kind of positive article. And it's good to see the likes of Liam Sheedy shared it as well. So the more that this attitude becomes pervasive um, across the GA, the better. The, the, I could see it potentially working up to maybe under 12, under 14 canon, but under 16 minor, I think that players should start kind of honing their competitive skills at that, at that stage. But definitely up until maybe the age of 12, 13, not like imagine an under 20, under 12 manager, under 10 shouting at you about winning a county final at that age. Yeah, it's not that- right. That that's silly at that age. Like, I mean, some people listening might even think that under sixteen and stuff is is too young as well. But I think there's there's definitely a balance to, yeah. to be had there. Like you know, like uh, is the coach under sixteens and like we, you would have had thirty at least thirty games in the season and four of them were championship. I think that's the balance you get. Once I got the championship, I was always very clear and saying, look, we're you know we're not doing any favors for anybody now. We, we've had a whole year. Everybody's played in the league. Everybody's played friendlies. Now we're going to try and win the championship. And I think that's fine. And like. It's, it's it's good that you're mentioning that because like the best thing I was ever told if you're coaching a team is the most important feedback you'll get is how many people are coming to train them and like if you can do that and you can be upfront and honest with people and they know that come August there's going to be an eight week period where it's just championship then that's fine like if you've got your chances the whole way through then grand then like the model like where Christy O'Connor's article started was that idea of like you know not failing people in school it was just like not yet they got a not yet instead of failed and like you know, late developers are close to my heart, Willie. <laughs> so, like you know, the idea that you would just cast somebody and put them in their box at that age is mad. Even an under sixteen level, it's just a not yet. You're not playing the championship, but I'm going to play loads and then come minors next year. You're going to get loads of opportunities too. And the only thing I didn't like about the New Zealand model, I don't know what you think, is the three even teams. So rather than having an A, B, and C teams, they wanted just a mixture, having three teams that are all the same quality and. I don't know. I, I still like. I think that's fine having A, B, and C teams, and like having people work their way up through it, as long as they're both getting or all getting the same attention. Yeah, because there is a little a bit of an a, of an embarrassment of being on the C team, but at the same team, at the same time, if you're mixing it around that much, and I wouldn't agree with. It. I I'm like you. I prefer A, B, and C because you're playing at your own level. You'll have a really strong A player who's getting so frustrated with the useless fella that they'll actually stop passing it to them. Yeah, you know, and then you'll mm. be just completely stranded, and it's not going to be fun. You know, whereas I think there's definitely games you can all play together, you know, to enjoy it and feel inclusive. But like, I mean, if you're talking about at matches, you have to split the standards, I think, because these are children at the end of the day. And I'm not going to, I, I, 
I remember taking mental notes of saying, I will not give the ball to that lad again because every time I give it to him, he's he's dropping it or <laughs> losing it. Yeah. Like, but then again, it comes back to Connor. This is probably in a game that I wanted to win. And if you're making it not about winning, but then again, what the hell are you playing for if there's not some sort of competitiveness to it? I don't know, Connor. Like, I mean, let's not go all too bloody inclusive, <laughs> inclusive on this and not want to actually win a championship. No, like I, I thought when I initially read the point that the Colin's talking about there in the division of A, B, and C, I thought, well, that's just simply not going to work at a lot of club level, the club level particularly, like throughout the GA, if the, if that's what we're referring to. But then Christy O'Connor kind of went on then to. Um, he mentioned how it's been used at uh, a county level by Cork, for example. Now they enter two even teams in, you know, an under-14 or an under-16 competition. I think when you get to that level, if you have 50 of the best under-16s in Cork, I think the standard would be quite good across the board that yeah. you can really afford to do that as opposed to where it's going to be completely different at, at club level. What I was going to say is that, like, is that like I think there's definitely a way to marry the two, and that like you you don't have to under under un, overstate the importance of winning, but like you don't completely dilute it dilute it either. Like you know, like I know in my club, for example, we would never have been used to winning things, you know, like winning a lot of things, for example. But like the greatest days uh, that we've had, and like like a, a lot of a lot of players that I played would 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 be the days that you remember when you won an under fourteen title or you won an under sixteen title or something like that, and you remember those twenty years on. It's just it's all about as Colin said, it's all about balance. So as long yeah. as you're, as long as you don't have a, a club where the mentality is putting too much pressure on the players and that they're not enjoying themselves, but at the same time, especially when you get to under sixteen, a minor level, that there can be, you can be encouraged to to try and win the thing too. But it just, it's just, you know, there's there's a balance to be met there, and I think that the better clubs and the better teams and maybe the better teams that they're referring to in New Zealand probably have that balance nailed on. Yeah, I think like I mean, we all remember training sessions where. There's not there's not enough for a full game, and you might go backs and forwards with two other lads kicking it in, and the 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 fellas who are left over sent down the other end of the field on their own. Like I mean, stuff like that's not fair. Like they're the fellas that will drop out, and they're fe- maybe fellas that might not be as confident, and they might be left the whole way down there just to play a game of soccer on their own. Like I've seen this happen, and yeah. not like nobody even sent down to coach them. Like I th- I definitely think there's improvements there. I think you're right. The balance is the most important thing without going all New Zealand on it, um, and trying to copy them but I definitely think within clubs if you if you're um, involved in a club like in a committee or in it as a in the in the management of the club and you see a manager sending lads down like that like I did plenty of times that you tell them that's unacceptable you know like I mean maybe that's kind of the thing you might learn from it we'll move on from that lads because we talked a lot about Kilo um, Kilo Emmett's and um, how they were hit with the 48-week suspension. So they're still facing this 48-week suspension. So they had an appeal to the Leinster Council um, thrown out. They lost it. Now, that wasn't an appeal against the 48-week suspension. This was the appeal against the 750 quid fine that they, was imposed on them um, to not show up or for not showing up at an under-16 um, A final. So um, they, they didn't win that. So they've since paid the 750. So their their next step now is to go to the DRA. Um, there's it's cast serious doubts about the Longford Championship because as as they're appealing this stuff, the Longford Championship can't go ahead. It's an absolute mess. Apparently they were up in Cavan uh, last Friday night and Porrick Duffy was brought in to try and broker some sort of a settlement. And I'm not really sure what kind. They were apparently they were meeting for three and a half hours. So I presume this is Calo and the county board. But what would they be trying to uh, broker? What settlement could they come to? Like, I mean, th- th- these are two sides that are on opposite kind of taking opposite positions. And now the Calo have have paid the fine. It doesn't seem to have have fixed it. So what would Porrick Duffy have been able to broker, Conan? I'm not sure. I can't really get my head around what's going on here. Doesn't seem like you brokered too much because we're still uh we're still rocked in this this battle and like unless you know obviously they they got the suspension because they didn't pay the fine and now they paid the fine a few weeks later and and they're trying to get the suspension lifted or suspended or or whatever I don't know it's if it was me you no know, it's very easy for me sitting on the outside but I probably would have went to the Leinster Council and appealed the suspension so you could carry on your GA activity you could keep playing underage and play in the championship and yeah they're not they, yeah they haven't imposed the 750 fine they lost the case that resulted in the 750 fine if you know what i mean so now that they say we lost that case here's your 750 you'd imagine that should be the end of it i would have thought so well i, I just i just think they should have went that they should have worried about the money later i think and just try to get the suspension lifted 
and you know, and then maybe like go back to the Leicester Council or the DRAs are talking about now, and then talk about the money. But this is a mess, and if it's holding up the rest of the Longford clubs, I can only imagine what everybody's thinking down there. Yeah, no, it's definitely a mess. Clonagale, remember we're talking about them, Connor, on Monday. Um, so they've since issued a statement um, about this. So this is Clonagale. They were supposed to play Ballyboden uh, junior team um, on Sunday. Um, yeah, and the the previous week, a Ballyboden junior player tested positive for the coronavirus. So he trained on Sunday morning with the Ballyboden uh, junior team, um, apparently. So it was only seven days. We were talking about 10 days last week, but one of their players actually reached out to me and he was saying that they had made a deal not to go to the media, but one of the players did and didn't even get the information um, correct. So it was seven days later, and apparently the Clondagale squad were split 50-50 on whether to just go ahead with the game seven days later or whether not to now the problem with this is is that they kind of made their feelings known to Ballyboden who agreed to to postpone the game the referee was happy to postpone the game you know for until the 14 days were up but the Dublin County Board uh, told them that if they don't fulfill the fixture they're going to get thrown out now what's really unfair for me about this is that like we are talked at the start of the show about Plunkett and Rahini and their game was rescheduled um, at a later date. Why is it OK for a senior football game to be postponed because of a positive case? But a junior hurling game, the Clonagale are being forced, are being forced to play that game, even though, you know, there was a positive test and they want to make sure that they follow, you know, the procedure of 14 days. So the only when I kind of weighed up the two cases here, Willie, the only question that I had was that is it the, is the difference here that the close contacts had been identified for the Ballyboden players and not for the Rahini, Rahini players because the game was cancelled the day before? Would that would that be would that be why the, there's a difference between the two cancellations? Are the two uh, games? See, because yeah. otherwise I, otherwise I couldn't understand it because I like like the, the, there's no reason why Dublin GA would cancel one game because it's senior football. And they wouldn't the other because it's down the divisions in in hurling. Like I, that that's that that seems to me completely unfair to Clan and Right. So like I mean, I suppose the the junior player would have trained that Sunday morning, so they would have been casual contacts. And you you think it's because the Rahini players or the Rahini hadn't identified the close contacts? I, that, that that this is me speculating, Wooly. Like because like I, all I could see was that the Rahini game was cancelled the day before the Rahini game against Plunkett's was meant to take place, whereas there seemed to be a gap between. There seems to be a bigger gap between when the case was identified in Ballyboden and when the when their game was meant to take place. That's, yeah. I'm speculating this as the only reason I can see is that there's a difference between. Okay, you had me panicked. It's like you were asking me a question that I should have known the answer to there, Colin. <laughs> you can kick it up from there. Well, no, I, I actually so I went and looked at at the Rahini case just to see what what the difference was, and their statement said that they had consulted with the Dublin County Board to determine the next best course of action. And then the Dublin County Board told them to shut down the senior football panel and not train or play matches until all the panelists were tested and returned negative. So there must have just, I, I don't know the ins and outs. And like remember as well, we're talking about like Clan McGill, who weren't the club involved. I know they had to play Ballyboden, yeah. but yeah. unless Ballyboden were given the, the OK and Clan McGill were still a little bit sceptical of it. But this is Rahini who were told to shut down. Ballyboden didn't shut down. No, so I wonder why, wonder why they didn't shut down, isn't it? Yeah, and but it does like I saw your tweet as well. And it does seem a bit mad, you know, that the junior game was still going to go ahead. Like in every other club, I saw like, and like you know, we can't take everything from Twitter, but I saw Ballyboden getting a bit of grief for not shutting down. But maybe they were told not to shut down. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, no, we're not criticizing Ballyboden. Like I mean, sure, like, we know that clubs don't have to shut down. They all just seem to be doing that. But like I mean, I don't see how an extra, um, an extra week would have killed anyone when both clubs were agreeing to it, considering the exceptional circumstances we're in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing as well, especially like the the, the unfair thing to me is that Ballyboden were open to rescheduling the game and there was a date free for them to play it. Do you know what I mean? So like, I, w- I would have thought that it might be common sense on all sides. And we're like, well, if Clonagale are up for it and Ballyboden are up for it, well, then we just play the game at another date. And then I was thinking, well, then do Dublin GA wonder then if there's a chance of precedent? Do you know that like, well, if they granted this dispensation to these two clubs, but then you look at it and say, well, you take it by a case by case basis. And if this case comes up again and there's no alternative date to play the fixture, as there was in this case, well, then you have to go with the with the county board decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll finish up on it actually on a bad note, lads, because Billy McCarthy, we talked about him and his terror, his road um, back from 
there's loads of examples of this um, back from two cruciates and he was back playing with Thurlis Sarsfields and how he had made the breakthrough a couple of years ago and you know he was back in the mix again the poor fella um, did his anterior cruciate ligament for a third time in three years so like I mean he's gone again like I, I don't know I used to complain about hamstring injuries and how did mess up mess me up for huge important matches but like I mean there's no way mentally Cam and I would be able to deal with this I don't know about you like I mean that this is just like talking about how strong you would need to be not to throw in the towel and feel sorry for yourself I I think I would be more the feeling sorry for myself and I'm done with this shit kind of line <laughs> that's exactly where I was at because I was talking to somebody about it earlier and I was just like like my words were that so grim I really don't know how some people do it like you know what to come back from it twice never mind now I have to do it a third time and, and not only to come back from it twice I heard it, it was man in the match against Killer Ruan in the first game out so he come back better than ever like you know and I like the, the mental strength that you'd have to have to go through all that again it's cruciate no I wouldn't I wouldn't this on hamstring injuries because I always remember Jack McCaffrey come, or um, Jack McCarron sorry from Monaghan remember he was in they said the hamstring injury out of everything was the worst thing that they ever had because they always thought he was good enough to come back and he kept getting injured again. So I can understand why that would be tough on you as well, Willie, but um, like a cruciate is just the worst because you have to get surgery and then go through all that rehab again. Christ almighty. Yeah, no, it's absolutely different. Uh, terrible. So best wishes to Billy McCarthy from the show. There's no doubt about that. And we'll see whether you can come back from, from the third time or whether you throw your hat at it. I wouldn't criticise you if you threw your hat at it. But anyways, best best wishes um, from the show. Right, we'll leave it there, lads, and we'll be back with the matches that are on TV this weekend. Let's chill the beans. There still is a lot of work to be done yet. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. But I tell you, give us a year, a year and a bit. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. Let's chill the beans. Beans. Let's chill the beans. Let's chill the beans. Beans. Let's chill the beans. There still is a lot of work to be done yet. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. But I tell you, give us a year, a year and a bit. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. All right, so the matches on TV. Um, on Friday night, we on TG Cahar, um, we have Trillick versus Killy Clogher. Not expecting an open game of uh, fast attacking football here. We know what Tyrone club football is like, whether they like to admit it or not. It is pretty um, It is pretty defensive. This is a quarter final. There's only been four rounds of the Tyrone Championship, but there's plenty of inter-county players um, on on show. We know Killy Clogher is Mark Bradley, and you have, they have the McCanns, and then we have obviously Maddie Donnelly, um, the two Donnellys, and uh, Rory Brennan and Lee Brennan for Trillick. So loads of quality on show con and it's just whether we get a quality game. actually like I mean we give out about Tron club football geez Killarney Legion were pretty defensive last Sunday when we were watching them so it's not just unique to Tron because I know I'll get you get you often get backlash out of Tyrone but at the same time I'm expecting a 10-9 type result kind of scoreline here. Yeah it could could be even as low as the, the Port Leash game there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'll be really bad but like yeah, yeah. I guess so, you got me there. <laughs> the Trillick had their first game against Galbali and, and everyone was um, raving about Lee Brennan again our man so apparently he was turning it on but I went and checked that scoreline and it was very low scoring I think they scored 1-9 or something that, that day out so uh, I thought like Lee Brennan probably ran up a, a big score he got he got six himself in fairness when it's a low scoring game you're doing well but like Trillick just have such a nice a lovely spine like Rory Kelly a fullback for him is class you mentioned Rory Brennan Lee Brennan inside obviously and then just Maddie and Richie Donnelly in the engine room it's just it's such a lovely weighted team that they have and yeah it'd be hard to see past them and obviously they're last year's champions as well yeah and they've, you've, the TG Cahar also have on Sunday deferred coverage of the Monaghan Senior Championship match. It's a quarterfinal as well. Carrick and Cross Emmets versus Mahara Clune. Might have some interest in seeing Tommy Freeman um, for Mahara Clune there. And they have the Waterford County Final on, on Sunday as the live game. We'll get to that in a minute. Saturday in RT, Connor, we have two 
of the Mayo quarterfinals, Ballantubber against Knockmore and Balahadreen against uh, Briefy. The second one, probably the the more attractive, arguably, for, for the county players, um, would you say? Yeah, I would, even though like a lot of the Bala lads, actually, the Bala lads that people might be familiar with aren't, haven't been on the panel. So the likes of Andy's obviously retired. I don't think Keen Handy has been involved lately. David Drake has, has stepped aside as well. And hang Sharon. on, hang on. Is Andy not playing club even? He retired from so, everything. Oh, I, I mean, sorry, like they're not involved with Mayo anymore, Willie. Sorry. Oh, right, right. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yes. No, no, Andy's, Andy is still going strong. With, like He's indicated that this, this will probably be his last season. Andy is a selector while playing as well. I'd love that. The security you'd have there. Like, I mean, give me a break. I'd love it. I'd love to be a player manager. Yeah. So, like, it's not as if he's not going to be sure of his place, in fairness. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. But he's uh, he's still going strong. Balladrine were very strong in the in the group. I think they had, like, um, they have a points difference of plus 20. Like, they were they were last year's county finalists as well and ran Ballantub were pretty close. And then Bravey obviously came out of the group of death. Uh, they got to the um, they got to the county final the year before as well, and like we know from having watched uh, them watch them against Castlebar a couple of weeks ago, that they were in decent shape, and the O'Shea's were 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 very much to the fore. So that's that's definitely the most attractive of the two of them. Well, that's not to say anything against Ballantubber and Knockmore. Like Ballantubber had a blip earlier on uh, against Ahmore. They, they they drew their first game because they conceded a last minute goal, but they've been very strong since. Ah, Ballantubber aren't great either. I've seen enough of them. They they they'd have three or four lads now that would be fairly harmless and on. on their team I've seen them um, in county finals they're, but they're, they're not Ballantubber are not a team I don't know if Ballantubber are winning it regularly then I'm not t- I don't know if the Mayo Championship is as strong as it used to be Well I'm talking about this level Willie I suppose Yeah like, yeah like Ballantubber at this level for a start like they've been they've been very very comfortable since they've um, since they had that bit earlier on and uh, and Knockmore having lost the now the last day. This is this is this is the look of the draw they got. They'll be cursing themselves for not winning that game. I agree with you to a certain degree, Willie. I think like, it has gone. I do think the standard of Mayo, where you're looking at teams coming out of it being all Ireland contenders, I think that might be gone. Well, maybe because they're up against Cara Finn and Connacht as well. Do you know what I mean? So like yeah. like like to be to be fair to Ballant Over, like they mightn't Ballant Over aren't the easiest on the eye. But of all the clubs that like, and we're talking about clubs like Crokes and other teams that have got. Like let's be honest, whoopings against Carfin in the last few years. Ballantubber have always were at random, very close in Connacht, and I know that's they're playing in like November, December, like when the ground mightn't be as hard and Carfin come alive when they play in Crow Park. But like to be fair to Ballantubber, they have they have they have ran Carfin very close, and I just like I know Willie that like they might they're not the most attractive. They they are quite defensive. They are a nightmare, absolute nightmare to play against. They just they're they're very tough tackling. They're very well organized and they're very hard to beat. And that's why they're favourites. That's why they're favourites to win again this year. So, like, what the like, I think that I think they'll come out of it. The, the attractive one uh, on Saturday is definitely Balladrine versus Brafey. But I would still, and despite me talking up Westport on Monday, I would still have Valentober favourites to, to come out of it again. Right, right, okay. And not on TV this weekend is Scary's um, versus St Jude's in Parnell Park on Saturday. The big question here, Conan, is are you back? Um, fit, can you tug out because I'd have a lovely little wing forward role for you there now and just dropping back and sitting in front of Kevin McManaman just to starve him of the possession if he gets possession, I want you doubling up on him don't get too close to him or he'll just push you off him just shadow him, make him play it get somebody else in around him, that's your job for the day Colin, now go out and go, go out and do it <laughs> I'm back Willie, I am back <laughs> Are you back? I'm not, no, I have to get surgery <laughs> <laughs> So how are how are the scaries feeling about this? Oh, they're looking great. Like to be honest, if I was back, I don't think I would be making that team. It's so it's so fast, like and they're so powerful. Like you know, joking. Like Brian Collins, the only one who's not an absolute flyer in it. Um, like the two wing forwards at the minute. You know, when you watch it, when you're not playing, you're like, oh shit! It's like it's the two boys who are playing midfield for double under twenties. You know, so you're thinking, oh Christ! Like how am I going to get back in there? Now they're they're actually scoring as well as getting back in front of Kevin McMenamin. You know, um, but they're they're going well. Like they obviously beat Thomas Davis. They came from seven down against uh, Round Towers Lusk and then beat them by seven. So. There's a bit of confidence there now. Quarter final, nothing to lose really. Um, but I don't want to talk them up. So St Jude should win comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> we know the big, we know the two big games is Nafina and Bally Mun, and it's Crokes and Vincent. So that's a full round of Dublin uh, quarterfinals on this weekend. But like I mentioned, the big game of the weekend because it's the second county final of the weekend. It's the second hurling county final in a hurling county, which is just trying to get them played off so they can train with the counties. So okay, well, well um, that's probably um, controversial, or uh, they won't be too happy to hear that. Um, it's Passage versus Ballygunner. Ballygunner will be 
unbackable favourites for this one. Passage have only ever won it once. It's a small little um, town with over only a thousand people. Amazingly, their last uh, county, their only county final win was in 2013, where they beat Ballygunner. And um, this is before Ballygunner went on to win their six in a row. So since that loss to Passage. Valley Gunner haven't been beaten um, since since that day in in Waterford uh, Club hurling, um, so this is the big one, obviously. And to help us look ahead to this one, um, a man who knows a good bit about um, the teams, Morris Shanahan, joins us on the line um, now. How's it going, Morris? Hello, Colin. How are you? Bye. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, Bally Gunner, who is uh, how good are they? I suppose is is the question. You you got to see them up close and personal last weekend. Unfortunately, we did. Yeah, but uh, I know. They're they're the best club team in Waterford. Colin with the last I think they won for seven in a row. Just that just tells you how good they are. And to be honest with you, people are saying would the hunger go from them, but it's not going from them at all because they have one or two lads coming in every year, I suppose, and right. they're only winning their first, you know. Like, and they're yeah, they're keeping it going. That they're keeping it going, and then you have the older lads like the Mahonies, Shane Sullivan, Barry Cox, and all them driving as well. Stephen O'Keefe inside the goal. He never, never shows up really. To be honest with you, but he drive. He keep. That's where it comes from, I suppose. That's where the the drive comes from. All them lads, and it's unbelievable, Colin. We've seen it on on Saturday night ourselves as a club. We thought we had a chance going down, but unfortunately, we didn't turn up either. Now, to be honest with you, we gave them. Did, but they did they battered us in the first 15 minutes and our heads dropped I suppose and the game was over then after that Right because you were kind of, you were coming you were coming off a brilliant year weren't you like I mean you are running up huge scores you were personally but the team was as well um, and you found yourselves in the semi-final but I don't know like I mean maybe they're in fairness they're winning county finals handy enough they seem to be a step ahead of everybody else Oh definitely and I suppose as a club, we couldn't have been in a better position, I suppose, going in on Saturday night. But we just came up against the best club team in Waterford for years. And to be honest, like I said, they're just so so driven. The likes of Phil Manny there, a centre back, he like again, he never never stopped giving encouragement to the players around him. And if it was the first minute or the last minute, column, it didn't matter. They just wanted to get over the line, and that's just the way they are. But you you can see it. I suppose it's great for Ballygunner, but unfortunately for Water, other club teams in Water, you can see they're winning everything minor, under 14, everything all the way up, and they have two or three teams at some, at some grades coming up, like, and how, how other clubs are going to get up to that is the question, do you know? Yeah, it is a question. So you scored three thirty-eight. We've been talking to, talking about you on the show a good bit in the last month, and you scored three thirty-eight in the lead up to Belly Gunner game. Got six um, in that game. Like you scored two seventeen in one game. Like, is this exceptional form you're in at the moment, Morris, or are they kind of tallies? You, you like without being, you know, bragging. Would they be? Would you be? Would you run up big tallies in club games usually? Yeah, I suppose they have been big tallies, but down through the years, I suppose for my club, I have been. Hitting, hitting big tallies anyway, I suppose, because when you're on the freeze and all that kind of stuff, it helps. But I suppose yeah. this year, this year, I suppose the three games, Colin, I, I did perform well in, you know, and the, the scores came. But partly Saturday night, I was Barry Coughlin kind of put a stop to that for me, you know. But that just tells you what kind of player he is, too, to be honest. Right. Okay, and like I mean, well, I, I presume as well the supply would have dried up a good bit in your defence on Saturday night as compared to other games. Yeah, I suppose. It, it, to be honest, a, a good few balls still came in. I suppose, but it just when they broke the ball down in front of me or whoever, or the other lads on the team, there are two or three of them in like that, and you can't like. There's many years we don't have a offer in on our own, and it kind of it dries up if you're. Two and one or three and two, you know, you're not going to win it unless you win it clean. And I suppose Belly Gunner just wanted to get the ball to the ground and they're in then to sweep it up around us. So. Right. And that's it. If a fullback's trying to spoil you, it's very little you can do, I presume, with the tricks of the trade. No, that's it. Like, there'll be a lot of pulling and dragging going on, but every team are doing it. We, we do it as well. So you can't give away about that. So. Yeah, come here. Like we've been talking in in a, in the in the in the on the show about you and about being dropped off the Waterford panel and about you know quotes Liam Cattle made about he's going to look at club form and things like that and you're in great form with the club. You know, do do you, do you think that 
you know, that decision could be revisited or have you heard anything or what's your thoughts? No, I, ha- I haven't heard I haven't heard a thing, to be honest with you. Uh, to be honest, I don't think I will. Really? I don't, yeah, I don't think I will, to be honest with you. But that's, look, I have no problem with that. If, if, if Liam, Liam and the, his backroom team think that's the best way for Walker, I leave him off, to be honest. Right. Because, like, I mean, I was reading some quotes from Liam Cal and I didn't, like, I, at least he, he rang yourself a no, you know. And um, I'm just interested to know what he said to you and what the reasons were. Yeah, I suppose when you rang me, I was on a side below my truck, to be honest, on the evening. So Do you remember the phone call? I can remember it just about, to be honest with you. But look, he just said, there's no hash, there's no reasons really. To be honest, he, couldn't, he didn't give us a reason, to be honest with you. He just said, myself and Noel are gone off the panel, and he said there could, have been, there could be one or two more, but it didn't work out like that. It was just myself and Noel. The two that got the bullet, I suppose, and maybe from the backlash, because there was a small bit of backlash in Walker at the time, that it was just the two of us. Maybe he didn't go through with the others, but we'll never know that, I suppose. Right, right. And he said he was said that you were both respectful when they rang him up. Like, did you question him on anything, or what were you like? I suppose you're at the stag, so you're probably trying to get off the phone rather than keep the conversation going. Yeah, to be honest, I suppose I was kind of took me back, to be honest with you. If I'm not being, if, to be honest, Collins, you know, because yeah. just for the two of us to go and then in a week or two later, you, you hear the 50 lads in there training, getting a trial and all this. And myself and all, after giving so much we did to offer that we didn't even get a chance to prove ourselves to Liam. Even if yeah. we were in there five or six weeks and he turned around and said, look, lads, you're not up to it. You couldn't, you couldn't argue with the man, I suppose. But look, I suppose like every manager, as their way to play it, but we we we'll see now over the next few months that he get it right as well. So, like, I mean, I'm trying to make sense of it. For so, for hurling reasons, I, look, I, I'm not Liam Cal, and he's got he's his own man, and he knows the type of players he wants. I wouldn't see the hurling reasons. I'm, you know, there was a lot of rumours coming out of Porrick Fanning's squad last year and rumblings with players. Like, I mean, did that involve you and Noel, for example? Like, is that something Liam could have heard about and maybe not wanted you in for different reasons outside of hurling? Yeah, I suppose. Look, I suppose last year with Porrick. There's a lot of talk outside the county that um, a lot of players aren't happy in this. But I was inside the camp and no one kind of no one kicked up to be honest with you, Columns. You know, no one kind right. of questioned the way people were saying it either. Like you know, rumours yourself and people had legs to stuff. And to answer with you, as players, last year we had to take a lot of criticism as well. And like, I don't think I don't think Liam could say. Then we said no, we're causing trouble in that inside in that camp because we definitely didn't. Be honest with you. Right. Okay. So, like, I mean, yeah. There's not. There, do Do you have any theory on why yourself and Noel went? Like, I presume you're in contact with each other after it happened and stuff. Like, I mean, have you any theory on it without being any way critical of Liam because he's his own decisions, his own decision to make? Have you got a theory on where it could have come from or what you know happened? No, I actually don't because to be honest, like for Liam to come in and just get rid of two players. That's like you say something to you as a waterman and came in because he'd be at all the water games, you know, he'd be at all the club games. Yeah, you see, his Waterford, he has Waterford selectors though, doesn't he? Yeah, he he does. You know, he has two selectors from Waterford. One is from Ballygunner and one is from uh, Baydoff Upper. So, I don't so is know. there anything? Yeah, you don't know if there's anything in that potentially. The, the two of them will be rivalry clubs to myself and Noel, but I wouldn't think I wouldn't think anything came out of that either, to be honest, but. You never know. I just find it very hard for a man to come in from Tipperary and just get rid of two lads like that, like you know. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to see what he does now because, like, I mean, you and Noel's form has been outstanding in the club. And the thing about the, the whole season being stopped is it almost feels like this is a new season now starting after the club. You know what I mean? So, sure. you know, I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't give up hope altogether if I was you. Yeah, maybe not, Colin. Maybe not. I don't. I can't see the phone ringing, to be honest with you. But, like, like he did say on the phone to me that evening when he rang me, like, that the door is always open, maybe. But like, I kind of I said there yeah, and then, Jesus, if I'm not good enough for you now, how am I going to be good enough for you, for you in six months' time, or three months' time down the line? But look, he, he has my number. 
if he wants if he wants to call me, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So how would you think your form has been like at Intercounty? Like under in the last couple of years under Derek, you were kind of uh, kind of given a super subs role. Like I mean, you're only thirty. No, yeah, and I suppose look, I suppose my best year playing for Waterford was twenty fifteen. I suppose. Yeah. And I suppose in sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, I I wouldn't say I had great years, but I wouldn't say I had that bad of years either coming on because the year we got to the All Ireland final. Every time I came on, I made an impact off the bench. And the one thing about Derek, and the one thing about Derek, he's a he's a wicked superstitious man. And I suppose if you're making an impact like that, Derek always knew with 20 minutes ago, gee, if I bring this on, he's going to maybe set up a score, score a score, and win a yeah. three. And I suppose the one thing about Derek Murray, he did say he had his factors and he had his finishers and he said nearly finishers are more important than his factors. But look, again, I suppose the manager has to do what he has to do to pick the right team and to be fair to Derry for a good few years he got a right in Waterford, to be honest. Yeah, no, he definitely did. Like, I mean, the thing about Waterford is that like, for the role that you play and being able to actually fetch a, fetch a ball and make it stick... Like for me, the two Bennets, they're good players, but they're, they don't. It doesn't really stick to them as much. Like and I don't want you to comment on them in in any way. But like I mean, I don't know. There seems to be a role for that. Even with Derek McGrath, I used to think, why would you not be on from the start? But I do accept that reasoning that if you're getting twenty minutes and Dublin were like that at times, bringing on good impact players, that was kind of the, almost a fashion two or three years ago when it started. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose the one thing about the Walford team at the moment. They're kind of all the same kind of players. Yeah. And they're good players now. Jesus, the Bennett's are good players. The Patrick Horn is a good player. They have good forwards. And but at times, you, you have to change up and go along as well. And I don't know, do they have that many big lads in there at the moment, to be honest with you. I don't know for a fact who's in there either now, but they could have. But look, I think you all, you need different players for different games, I suppose. And especially this year, Callum, I suppose, with the championship coming on so late, it's going to be mucky so you might be a big fella I don't know to be honest but yeah <laughs> you could need yeah you could need somebody to it mix it up be, it could be yeah. so were you happy to accept that kind of subs role and getting the 15-20 minutes or like were you ringing Dan in the evening saying what the hell is going on here I would have had a, I would have had a few conversations with Dan to be honest with you kind of hard for Dan as well because at times I thought I should have been on the team and you'd be ringing Dan and to be honest with you, it's easy to ring Dan, but Dan wasn't the manager of the team. At the end of the day, I kind of yeah. I rang. I had a, you can like Derek would always say, I went face to face with him and asked him why at times why he wanted on the team, and then again would say he he has his stacks and finishers, and he said, like he would say, I, I could throw you in this Sunday, but he said your role is your role, I suppose, and. I suppose, look, I, I was never happy not playing with Watford or not starting. I was happy with it, but I suppose when you get home on that Friday night, I probably sulked for a lot of it. And then on Saturday morning, Colin, I had to get up and think of the team and drive on for Sunday, I suppose, whatever yeah. way I could help the lads. You, you strike me as being similar to Dan in that you're kind of a streak player that when your confidence is up, like you're unmarkable. But you, if, the, if, you know, if you kind of lose that confidence, you're not the same player at all. No, definitely, yeah. It's a, like anyone that knows me, I suppose, you know, I'm a, it's all about confidence with me, I suppose. And when my confidence is down, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be worth too much to the team. But again, I suppose, the way you get confidence is by having people that believe in you. Yeah. And I suppose. And to be, honest with you, to be honest with you, I would never say a bad word about Derek. He mightn't have started me at times, but I had a great relationship with him too, to be honest. So he's the, Derek, even though you're getting 20 minutes, was able to package that in a way that he does have a lot of confidence in you, I suppose. Yeah, no, I don't question the confidence Derek had in me, to be honest with you. To be fair to the man, he always... I, I did start, I did probably, I started some games every year as well, to be honest with you, but I suppose the big games, the All-Ireland semi-finals and that, they see me as an impact and I I had a problem with that, but like I said, I had to pack that the minute I get home. I wake up on the Saturday morning and I help the team yeah. the way I could. And of course, if that was for twenty minutes or twenty five minutes, but 
I suppose if you're coming on and you are impacting columnists, it makes it a lot easier than coming on and not doing a thing, I suppose. So have you have you spoken to like sports psychologists or different people involved around the team about, you know, your confidence and how to kind of avoid the confidence, you know, losing the confidence or, how you know, how to mentally kind of block that, those kind of, you know, thoughts in your head? Yeah, I suppose I would have talked to a few there involved with the water teams down through the years and I, I definitely would have. And yeah, I suppose the one thing about me, I think... I build my own confidence, to be honest with you. I think when I'm playing well, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of unstoppable at times, you know. But like if I go out there, at times as well, Colin, I might be, my confidence might be down. I might go home to my club and I might go in and play a challenge. People might even know I played it, to be honest. Right. Trying to get my, just trying to get my confidence up. You go away to your club, you hit a few frees, you get your confidence up that way, and then again, you get one or two from play and one or two goals and then your confidence is up straight away. You know, it's very easy to get your confidence up, I think, at times as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Small little thing will trigger it back again. Yeah, small things. Uh, definitely small things, yeah. Yeah, Jason, interesting. And tell me about Passage then. You're like, a, I presume you're in contact with Noel or wishing him best of luck or, you know, having chats about the whole Waterford thing. Like, I mean, they've, they've come from nowhere, a small club like Lismore. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest with you, if you said passes being a county final at the start of the year, I said people would have kind of laughed at you. But that's just tell you what kind of club belong passes they have because they're a small community, to be honest. They're very small. And um, they're, they're not a valley gunner, so there'd be a big rivalry there. And they're a credit, like, I think they were around 3 or 4 to 1 to beat Mount Sinai last Sunday and the week before they were under that to beat Rome Moore. And they came through them two games. Flying colours, to be honest with you. Right. You know, because people, people were saying Mount Sign were at the up again. To be fair, the passes, they scored 17 points in, a, in, 30, in 30 minutes of the first half. They scored 17 points. And I have no doubt passes will believe in themselves on Sunday, Column, you know, the kind of community they are below. And I have no doubt they'll give everything they have. Do I think they'll beat Valley Gunner? I probably don't, to be honest with you. I don't think there's anything. In Munster, in my Paddy Gunner, the way they're playing at the moment, but I could be a bit biased there as well. Uh, I know, in fairness, I'd say Bally Gunner will go in favourites in Munster if they win um, if they win the county final. A funny thing about Passage and Bally Gunner, you say they're rivals, but they play football together with Galtier. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. They play football with Galtier, but to be honest with you, there's not too many of the Passes hurlers or the Bally Gunner hurlers play. play the oh, is there not? If you pick two or three out of each team, I say that that's about it. You know, you wouldn't have eight or nine, to be honest with you. Right, right, okay. Like, like, no, he wouldn't. The Connors wouldn't play football, or the Mahoney Sullivan's none of them would play football. So they're all a hurling. They're all hurling families, I suppose. Right, I was picturing them all out training Tuesday night with the footballers after killing each other. That's not going to happen. No, that won't happen anyhow, to be honest, but. Right. I'd like to Daisy Hutchison and them play play the football with golf here and there might be one or two out of the passes lads, but I can't think of too many you now to be honest. Right, right. Okay. Well come here, Morris. Thanks very much for giving us your time there and uh we'll talk to you again. Hopefully keep your eye on your phone and answer private numbers as well. That's the even if you don't answer them, you'll start answering the private numbers now. I start answering all the phones now. <laughs> all the best, Morris. Thanks for talking yeah, to me. All right, great stuff from Morris there. We will be back on Monday as usual and we'll take a look back at all the weekend's um, action. We'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go,